This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Good morning, church. Good morning, Spotswood at Ladysmith, soon to be River Rock Church, Caroline. We are so glad you're here this morning. And um, we, today, um, this morning, we will be having our last drive-in service. And next Sunday, uh, July 5th, we're going to be doing a 11 a.m. in-person service, live worship, live teaching and preaching. And so we'll be doing that um, in the Ladysmith Community Center, which is right on Ladysmith Road, right beside uh, the Dollar Store there, Dollar General. I think it's 7278 Ladysmith Road. So you can't miss it. We'll have our flags out. You'll join us then. And listen, I want to make a small correction. I left a video on Facebook and I said there's no child care and no uh, kids ministry, but we want your families there. Listen, we want everyone there. What a, a beautiful time. We haven't uh, been together in almost four months, I think. And so what a beautiful time it would be to have a family worship. Listen, I did student ministry for 20 years, so I'm used to kids standing up in the middle of the service and going to the bathroom and running up and down the aisles or whatever. So uh, it's no big deal. We want you there. We want you there with your kids and your family. And so we hope that you'll come out. Let's go ahead and get into God's Word this morning. And it'll be a great time of continuing in our Hebrew series. Uh, let me go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our day. Thank you for the Word of God, God, that is uh, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce uh, the very heart and mind of our soul. Uh, Father, we love you. And God, I just pray you'll bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can see, I got a little different setup, same office, same spot, but just decided to change it up a little bit and just sit down with the Word on a chair and share um, what God is leading me to share out of His Word today. I think we're in week four now of our Hebrew series, so we're about halfway through, and we're in chapter five, the latter part of that, and then beginning of chapter six. And as we talked the last several weeks, a uh, reminder that Really, the, the two main goals of Hebrews is this. One is that Jesus is superior. He is superior to everything. He's superior to angels, superior to Moses, uh, Melchizedek, as we learned last week, all priests, all past sacrifices. Uh, he is the, the great high priest. He is our apostle, great apostle. Um, and so we're going to be talking about a, a little bit of that. But more importantly, I should say, we're going to take, as the author takes like a little break, he, he, he varies off of that for a little bit, for, for a really a warning uh, for us as believers and for uh, the Hebrew believers at that time. And so it's really important as we uh, read through this today, we really take the Word of God seriously and really consider uh, what the author is saying. If you'll follow along with me in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11, and we'll read uh, up through chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, about this, we have much to say, again, uh, the writer saying, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing and laying on of hands in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. For this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the good, I'm sorry, of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Listen, um, as we talk about the Word of God, as we read it today, this is, um, especially that latter part, is some of the most hard, if you will, most difficult um, scriptures to interpret in all, the, in all the scriptures. But I want to go back on what we do know and what we can clearly uh, define. And as we, we talk about that, I want to lay out our big idea today. Our big idea is this. God expects us to mature spiritually and re reproduce spiritually. You know, um, as we started at the beginning of this in verse 11, it says this. About this, we have much to say. And the writer is saying that uh, just like the order of Melchizedek and all the, uh, many of the other things that they have mentioned about Jesus being superior, um, they have a lot to say and they have more to teach. Uh, but there's a problem. Um, it's hard to explain for one. And the bigger problem is, is this, they, the, the readers have become dull of, of hearing, dull of hearing. So what does that mean? Uh, I think it, it clearly states as we lead up to this particular verse that the, the writer has really been warning. He's been kind of dancing around it. He hasn't really come out and said it up until this point, but he's implied it, that there is a problem or there's some major issues with some of the Christians that he's writing to um, in Hebrews. And um, in some of the ways he said this, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, pay close attention to the message you've heard, lest you drift away. One of the other ways he said that is in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. We talked about that, where how how could Christians have to consider Jesus again? But again, he's warning this, this dull of hearing. In verse chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. So we see a little bit more about this idea of the heart. And then chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. And then chapter one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Fear lest you fall to enter God's rest, or fail to enter God's rest. And then uh, chapter 4, verse 11, be diligent to enter God's rest, lest you fail by disobedience. Verse, chapter 4, verse 14, hold fast to your confession, as we talked about last week. What do these things have over and over? It's a, it's a warning to us. It's a warning to the writer or the listeners that he was writing to, to, to be careful that your heart does not become callous, does not become hard. You know, over and over we talk, we see where God 
tells the people, his people, he wants to exchange their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Well, what is a heart of stone? A heart of stone is, it's hard, right? It's, in, it's impenetrable. It, nothing can penetrate it. Um, in fact, uh, the only thing I guess it's good for is to be crushed up and, and used for soil or used for pavement. So, but he's saying, I, I want to give you a heart of flesh. What is so things can penetrate? It's soft. It's moldable. It's pliable. Um, as we read in the Old Testament, that God is the potter and we are the clay. That we need to stay moldable in God's hand so He can shape us. Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven fifteen. Jesus says, "He who has ears, let him hear." I mean, I don't know how you get any more plainer than that. But the but the reality is, God gave us two ears, right, and one mouth. So we need to listen twice as much as we speak. But we need to not just have ears, but we need to actually hear. We need to listen. And man, what, what an incredible reminder of this day and time, right? We need to be listening. Most of all, we need to be listening to uh, the, the voice of God. And so what causes some of this dulling? We, we see that the reason why this warning is coming to these believers is that it's it's a dulling of hearing. What are some of the cases for the dull of hearing? Well, I think one is this idea of sin. Sin can cause our hearts to grow hard, especially a continual lifestyle or a habitual sins, and then that uh, unrepentive heart. Now, Listen, we, we all sin every day, right? We get up, we need God's grace and mercy each day. And we, the, the Bible says a righteous man fails or a righteous person falls, but they get up and walk toward God. So it's not a matter of eliminating sin altogether. We will not do that until we reach um, the, the very presence of God. But it's this idea of just becoming callous to it, just to just becoming unrepentive and and just cold to it doesn't affect us anymore. It should break us heart, our hearts when we rebel and sin against God and against each other. The other is this, I would say, an apathy or a, a lack of discipline. Uh, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, it says, A man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast, for he will die for lack of discipline. Now, that's a great warning. Um, you say, well, is that one of your favorite verses? Because it's a warning that any of us can fall into the trap of wickedness. Why? Because of a lack of discipline. I really believe with all my heart, a righteous person, a person who is following Jesus, obviously has faith in Christ and the finished work of Jesus is by grace alone through faith alone. But it's also this understanding that Living the life that Jesus has called us to live is a life of discipline. It's a life of habits, living out. We see this even with Jesus' life. We talked about this in our podcast this week, that Jesus had a habitual time of prayer, time in the Word, um, in, in, in the Scriptures that He had. And He knew them. He quoted the, uh, the Scriptures over and over and over again. And it says that he taught with authority. That means the, literally the, the word of God just flowed out of him. And so th that's so important. Um, and also this idea of pride. Pride can cause our hearts to fear. In, in other words, pride is this idea. It's all about me, myself, and I, right? The ego. 
and we're always putting ourselves first. And, and the reality is God has taught us through his son Jesus that we need to humble ourselves as a servant and take that mindset. The other thing that can cause our hearts to harden is also um, really setbacks in life or, or trials or maybe even tragedies, um, things that have happened to our life that, that maybe seem unfair and just, right? Um, it could be um, a, a illness that you're faced or have faced, and, and maybe it's a chronic illness. Maybe it's a, if you will, an untimely death. In other words, you know, it's not someone who died of old age or way and lived a full life, but somebody who died young or experienced some type of tragedy at a young age. And so we, we see that where all this can, can happen, it can really harden our hearts. And so um, as we, as we say, say that, um, it, the scriptures go on to say, well, that's a culprit, dulling of hearing. So we need to guard against that. It says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, I, as we talk about this, I, I want to make a statement because I think um, we in the church, and when I'm saying that, I mean big C, but also specifically as a Southern Baptist, I, I really believe that we are guilty of what I call a non-discipleship gospel. Um, because really what the writer is saying here is that the, these people have not been discipled. Uh, they're, not, they're not discipled. They're not being disciple makers. In other words, they're not reproducing. Um, and so uh, this idea that a salvation we focused on being essential, but discipleship being non-essential, right? We've heard those words recently from our governor, what's essential and what's non-essential. But if we leave and see the very last words that Jesus left his disciples. Think about this. Jesus had lived for three and a half years uh, on earth. As I mean, he'd done his ministry for three and a half years with these people. Um, he'd lived for th 33 and a half years. They saw him arrested uh, wrongly. They saw a mock trial, and they saw him ultimately go on the cross and die and then go in a tomb and then r rise again. And we see him that he's on the earth uh, appears to his disciples and over 500 others uh, for many days. And these are the last words that Jesus says to his disciples. And you imagine how they're gripping on to every word he says. And this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven, there's that kingdom language, um, and on earth has been given to me. And go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So we see this. Um, we, we see where um, they were commanded to teach. Um, in fact, you know, this idea of what caused that dull of hearing is one thing, but in verse 12 of this writing, we see where it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Well, what does that really mean? Does that mean um, elders? I don't see that here in the scriptures. What that means is you need to be teaching. In other words, you need to be a disciple, and you need to be a disciple maker. 
but you're not. You're, you're not reproducing. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 2 is, a, uh, 2, 2 is a great verse. and says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. What we see is three generations there. You see, what you have seen in me in the presence of many, right? And trust to faithful men, pass that on to others so they can teach. So we see multiple generations in that one verse about being a disciple maker. And then it goes on to say the very basic principles, you have to be taught again, very pr basic principles of the oracles of God. What are those basic principles? Well, we see those later in, in the beginning of chapter 6, but it's this idea of repentance and faith, um, not by works. Um, this idea of caught up in the laying on of hands, not the righteousness secured by Christ. Um, we also see where unless you stand, Unless Jesus stands as an advocate and our substitute, we could never st stand before God on the day of judgment. So we see these basic principles um, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I make this statement, I want you to understand I'm talking about the Big C Church, but also I'm talking specifically uh, about us as Southern Baptists. I, I believe that we're guilty of non-discipleship gospel. I believe we're guilty of a non-discipleship gospel. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is we have emphasized that salvation is essential, and it is, but we have also emphasized or by not emphasizing that discipleship is not essential. Um, I want you to understand that both are essential. Um, in fact, if you really look at what Jesus says to disciples, he says, go and make disciples. And remember, Jesus lived here on earth for, earth for 33 and a half years. He um, did his ministry for three and a half years with these people. They saw him perform miracles, do all these amazing things. They saw him arrested in a mock trial, be crucified, be died and buried in a tomb for three days and rise again. And now they had spent many days with him, and they, he was about to send back to the Father. So you know they were gripping on every word that he said. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now listen, this is important. It says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, this is kingdom language. I have authority. I'm going to give you this authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Does it say make converts, does it? It doesn't say make decisions. It says make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's so, so important to understand that we talk about uh, the Great Commission, when we talk about uh, what Jesus is really talking about here and what the writer is really talking about, this idea of teacher, he's, he's really talking about reproducing, making disciples that make disciples, disciple makers. Disciple makers, the difference between a disciple and a disciple maker, a disciple is one who follows, right? Uh, uh, apprentice, if you will. But a disciple maker is one who makes apprentices. And, and really what the writer's saying here is we need to all, all of us, 
Not all of us are called to be elders. Not all of us are called to be deacons or necessarily leaders within the church, but all of us are called to be disciple makers, every one of us. So it's important to understand what the writer's saying here. We're, we're, we're here to make disciples. Now, what's interesting, when you look at Southern Baptists, they did a survey or they did a study over the last 20 years. It just came out a couple years ago. And that in Southern Baptists, in all the churches, they, they baptized somewhere around over 7 million individuals. Okay, Now, in that same time, you would have thought that our church, at least attendance, would have went up some. But the reality is, in that same period of over 7 million um, people being baptized, individuals being ba baptized, we lost over 20,000 or 24,000 in attendance in that same season. So what, what happened? Well, I think, again, I think we're guilty of focusing on a decisionistic approach versus a discipleistic approach. Now, I want you to understand, as a church, we are really trying to make disciples. So one of the first things we want you to do when you come to our church is we want you to experience corporate worship. And after that corporate worship, we want you to get in what we call a community group. It's so important. Community groups work. It's where you have co-ed typically in that group, um, where you have maybe mixed um, ages even in that group, what I call intergenerational, um, not just multi-generational. Intergenerational means you're talking to each other in the room. You're not just in the same room. Um, so this is what has to happen. And discipleship can only happen if it's intentional. Um, many times we're guilty of making the baptism the finish line instead of the starting line. Uh, we need to emphasize that not just that you're saved from sin, but that you're saved for something. And that is for the purposes of God. Well, what is the purpose of God? Is to make disciples that make disciples, right? And so this is what we're talking about here, and this is what the writer is saying. You know, one of the largest uh, studies or discipleship studies uh, was done through LifeWay for a 10-year period. Um, do you know what the most important lead measure, you know, you know what the difference between a lead measure and a lag measure, right? Uh, a lead measure is something that actually can make a difference in the future. A lag measure is something you've measured from the past, but you can't change anything. You're looking at, it's like looking in the rearview mirror. The, the number one lead measure um, in uh, discipleship is this. It's Bible engagement. Now, I want you to understand, it, it is not Bible reading. It's not Bible study. It's Bible engagement. Well, what does Bible engagement really mean? What it really means is this. It means getting into the Word until the Word gets in you. In other words, it means engagement really means obedience, um, one of the other things that as you read the Word, as you engage the Word, um, it leads us um, to other disciplines. In other words, what they've studied, what they've seen in this study is as you um, have Bible engagement, you will see that all your other spiritual dis disciplines begin to grow. So in other words, uh, prayer begins to grow. Uh, witnessing or evangelism begins to grow. Uh, giving, stewardship begins to grow. 
All these other disciplines, prayer and fasting, begins to grow. All these things that are we really want in our life, the discipline, spiritual disciplines, begin to grow because we're in Bible engagement. And really, I would say Bible engagement is this time where you're in the Word and you let it steep in your soul. In other words, it's an unhurried time with God where what I do is I just sit down and I begin to take my pen and I have special pens that don't bleed through the, the uh, scriptures. Uh, I, I encourage you to do that because then it gets messy or flipping back and forth. But online words, write things down. And I use kind of a technique called the HEAR journal. Um, and what I do is H stands for highlight, um, E stands for explain, A stands for uh, apply, and R stands for respond, we're an action point. And this is all taken from Robbie Gallaty um, and in some of his writings. Uh, on discipleship, but that's kind of what I use in that. But it's just this time. So as we as we talk about this, uh, is what's incredible is in this survey they, they found that only about fifty one percent of churchgoers really know what the Great Commission is, and then they say an additional thirty one percent are unsure they can even recall uh, what it means. So they don't know the Great Commission, and they don't even really know what it means. And I think what, what we've seen is people are tuning in um, to a radio station called WIIFM. And, and what's funny is, is that it's really been um, this consumer mentality. WIIFM stands for What's In It For Me. In other words, we, we've really taken this consumer mindset in the church instead of this real ownership in the church. Um, now, I want you to understand, um, the writer is not saying the milk of the word is bad. In fact, um, we see in 1 Peter 2, 2, it says, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, we cannot expect to experience the results of Jesus' ministry if we choose to divorce ourselves from his method. So if we want to see exponential growth and we want to see lives change, we need to use his method. Well, what was his method? His method was to, to, to intentionally go after individuals, to surround himself in a, in a community group for one, his 12, and then he had a smaller group, what we would call a D group, a discipleship group, um, Peter, James, and John, that intimate group. Um, and, and, and the Word of God obviously is, is essential. He quoted it over and over uh, through the Gospels. We see it written. And so it's so important that we get into the Word. I mean, the pathway to maturity and to solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. So what is an obedient person? Well, we need to understand that the milk of the Word of God is important. And so the writer's not saying that. In fact, what food do you become mature so you can eat solid food? Well, the answer is milk. You've got to grow up on the milk. You become mature with milk. The problem with these Christians is not that the milk is weak or that babies can't eat steak. The problem is is that the babes are not exercising with the milk they have. In other words, Romans 12, um, 1 through 3 says it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What is our motivation? 
It's driven by grace and mercy, not by threats of punishment or shame. No, it's by mercy. To present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's that lifestyle of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Now listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing it you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now if you look in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, uh, which you have the writings with the old, uh, the, uh, the Jewish people would have called the Tanakh. And so um, if, you, if you read that and you see the Tanakh, the greatest book out of Tanakh, if you had asked any rabbi, would have been uh, Deuteronomy. And, and why is that? It's the summation of the Old Testament. Now, probably the most impactful verse in that is in chapter 4 where it says, to love God, right, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, the word really that's most important there is this idea um, of, of mind because they would have said that most, the highest spiritual discipline uh, of that day of worship would have been this idea of, of, of really Bible engagement or studying of the Word. And so it's this idea of, again, you get into the word until the word gets in you. And so what we see out of this text is this idea that you hear the word, and after you hear the word, you believe the word, and then you ultimately obey the word. So this is so important as we, as we read through this. And then we need to understand, when you, even when you look through like the book of Proverbs, one of the the, the, I, I did, years ago, I did a study in the book of Proverbs, and just year after year after year, I would read it uh, through uh, because it's usually you know it's thirty one chapters, and so you can use it each day uh, of the of the month. You can read that particular proverbs. And what I noticed is that there's three words that are used over and over again: is this idea of knowledge, and this idea of understanding, and this idea of wisdom. And, and what I compare it to is like a Think about a mechanic. Um, when, when a mechanic wants to get trained or they want to get apprenticed into understanding to be a master mechanic, they have to first begin to, to read the manual, right? And so that's the knowledge. That's the beginning to understand the functions of an engine and how it works and all these things. And then as they, they, they see it, then they begin to have understanding. Well, what's understanding? Well, that's maybe some more hands-on approach where you're not just reading the manual, you're not just trying to understand the, the components of an engine and how it works, but you're going to put your hands on it. You're going to turn wrenches. You're going to change oil. You're going to you know, take off the headers. You're going to do all these things to begin to understand and put things back together. And then ultimately, this idea of wisdom. Wisdom is that both knowledge and understanding, as the scriptures talk about here, it says that is this idea that in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. In other words, it's that Romans 12 there, you, you, you are maturing as you hear the word, as you believe the word, as you obey the word, and you're able to have discernment as you practice the word. And so what we see here is, is these believers, they're staying childish, they're, they're staying immature. If we would say that a three-year-old um, is, 
is at 13 the same size as, I'm sorry, if you would say that a child um, at 13 is the same size as a three-year-old, we would say something's wrong. Something's unhealthy here, right? Well, of course, because they have not matured, they have not grown, and the same is true in the church. Just because you've been in a church for 20 years doesn't make you mature. What makes you mature is you have engagement in the Word of God, as you obey the Word of God, as you pour into others and others pour into you, this is where we see the maturity growing. It's this life on life, and, and it's the constant training by the practice to distinguish good and evil because 95% of what we face in the world is not directly written in commandments. In other words, we, have, we know the big ones, right? Don't put any God before uh, the one true God, uh, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder. Well, guess what? Typically, I don't have to face murder and stealing and adultery on a daily basis, right? But we do have things like, hey, what house do we buy? What neighborhood do we live in? What job do we go? What investments do we make? How do we raise our kids? How do we spend our time with our kids and our family? So all these things will help us distinguish what is right and true in God's eyes. Now, when we look at a disciple, there's certain marks of a disciple. One is this, that that disciple is missional. In other words, they have a mindset of sharing this with other people. And, and, and I think, again, we don't forsake evangelism for discipleship, but the problem has not been that. Um, the problem has we've forsaken discipleship for evangelism. In other words, we, we're saving or we're, we're reaching all these people, but we're not discipling any of them. So one is missional. The, the other mark of a disciple is accountable. I think that's the big difference between what we would call a community group and a discipleship group. There's real accountability. In other words, men are with men, women are with women, and they confess their sins uh, to one another, and they, they trust um, as they are accountable, that those people are going to be accountable to them and they're going to be accountable to each other. And you don't see that um, in groups that are mixed. Men are going to confess their sin in the presence of other women and, and women aren't going to do that in the presence of, of men just because God made us specifically um, and, and the fact that men and women struggle with things typically different. So you're going to, you're going to find that accountability with the same gender the third thing is that they're reproducing. And this is where I think in many ways the scripture is talking about this. We have failed this. And 2 Timothy 2.2 uh, 2 really hits on this. Is that multi-generation. Uh, we need to be having kids spiritually. We need to be having grandkids spiritually. And we need to be um, multiplying, reproducing. Now, if you look back at that number, 7 million people, if, if, if them... If those individuals over the last 20 years, including the people that are already in churches, have multiplied, guess what? All the world would already um, be, be saved and discipled in Christ by now, okay? The 7 billion people that are. Because over that 20-year period, you would have reached the whole world. The, the, the fourth thing is this idea of communal. In other words, we need to be living in community um, in service to each other. That means we need to be serving in our local church. We need to find a place of service. Um, maybe outreach, those type of things. And then ultimately, it needs to be scriptural. In other words, our whole discipleship group, community group worship needs to be based on the Word of God. And again, that's the number one lead factor um, when it comes to disciple and discipling and disciple-making. Now, I want to close with this big question, is this. One, are you maturing in your walk with Christ? And two, 
Are you, are you helping others reproduce? In other words, not only are you maturing in your faith in Christ, but are you leading others to reproduce? Are you investing in them as they invest in others, as they invest in others? Let me close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. God, I just pray you'll be able to take this word and challenge our people, God, that we need to be growing spiritually and we need to be reproducing spiritually. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. God, help us to be a disciple-making church. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.